0: All right, let me pray for us and we're gonna jump into the message for the day. Father, we uh, are so thankful for your love and your grace. Thanks so much for your goodness. Lord, I pray now that you would just focus us in, that you would come and really speak to us and minister to us and, and uh, just kind of open up our eyes to see you and know you and respond to you um, more, we pray. Lead and guide us now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We are on our fourth and final week of a series that we've been doing here at Ignite called Better, trading in ordinary life for something more. And this series is all about learning to, to find life and to experience life in relationship with Jesus because life with God, as we've been looking at week after week, we've been saying it's just better, right? It's, it's what we're made for. It's what you and I are actually born for is relationship with him. We've looked at all different kinds of Psalms, all different kinds of places throughout scripture. I'll highlight just a few just to kind of remind us. Psalm 34, 8, we've hit several times uh, that just invites us as a taste and see that the Lord is good. It's an invitation saying, come and experience God for yourself. Come and draw near to God for yourself and see if life with him isn't better, right? It's an invitation. Psalm uh, sixty-three, three says, because your love, oh God, is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I love that. He's saying, God, living life with you, experiencing and knowing your love, it's better. It's better than anything else I could possibly imagine. Psalm 16.11 says this. Says, You have made known to me the path of life. In your presence, O oh God, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Life with Jesus, the psalmist is saying, lived in his presence with life it's just better. There's fullness and joy. There's life there. There's peace and love and on and on and on. And and the psalmist, the writers throughout God's book just say, you know what? It's it's just better. Life with him is just better. It's what we're born for. It's what we're made for. It's how life works best. Today, I want to wrap up the series by talking about this whole issue of surrender, of living life all in. For Jesus and with God, and so that's what we're going to kind of be talking about today. To start us out, I was thinking this week of uh, remembering a time Uh, We went on vacation a number of years ago, and one of the things I thought would be great for me personally was to kind of uh, read through some biographies and autobiographies of sort of some heroes of the faith for me. And so I picked three different um, authors, uh, three different, well, three different Christian leaders throughout history that had made a significant difference, guys that I would respect and want to emulate, and I thought, I'm going to learn from them. And so I read stories when we were on vacation, I read their life stories, I read stuff by And to some of them, I listened to like messages from them and just kind of learned about them, tried to kind of hear what they would have to teach. And uh, the three guys are this the first one is a guy by the name of Bill Bright, who is the founder of uh, an organization called Campus Crusade for Christ, which is now known as CRU. And, uh, Uh, A pretty amazing life. A business guy that became a Christ follower and through his life, through his ministry, ended up sharing uh, God's story, sharing the story of Jesus and the salvation and the new life that is only offered through him. He shared, he and their, through their ministry, shared that story with over a billion people on the planet. That's with a B. Isn't that incredible? They saw millions and millions of people's lives changed. Jaw-dropping kinds of impact. Second, uh, Person uh, that I read was a guy by the name of Jim Elliott. Some of you might have been familiar with his story, but uh, he was a missionary uh, and went to Ecuador in the 1950s uh, and felt like he was called to reach a brutal tribe in the jungle called the Aka Indians, people that had never in their lives had the opportunity to hear about Jesus before. And so uh, he went with his family. They lived uh, in the region and he took trips and he and a bunch of other missionaries were actually killed trying to share the Christ trying to share Christ and trying to bring the message of Christ to this tribe and yet it's an amazing story if you keep reading how even through his death God used his, his life and the message and his family and, and that ministry to actually reach the entire tribe and bring transformation and new life and salvation to a whole people that had never heard about Jesus before. An amazing kind of story. Uh, and the third person that I uh, uh, kind of studied and, and read about was a guy by the name of Hudson Taylor, who is known as the father of modern missions. He was a missionary to China back in the 1800s, so like 150 years ago. And after a, a patch of bad health, he actually had to go back to England, couldn't serve on the mission field anymore. She was pretty bummed about. And yet uh, God used him in that era to translate um, the, the New Testament into Chinese and to start a new ministry. And over the course of the next 20 years, they sent out more than a thousand missionaries through their organization back to China to start churches, to, uh, to bring God's story of salvation and on and on through that. And I was I was thinking about that even this week. I read an article that was uh, recording that today in China, this is as of like this month or something, this article was written very recently. Uh, in China, they average 30,000 conversions a day in China. 30,000 people a day are coming to know Christ are are experiencing new life they're they're churches are exploding even even underground churches that they're they're exploding they're multiplying they're starting churches all over the place it's predicted that if this if the growth rate continues within 15 years China will be the the biggest christian nation on earth Isn't that incredible? Most missiologists who have studied this kind of thing can trace what's happening now. They would trace back 150 years to Hudson Taylor. Isn't that incredible? Like just the the foundation that got laid, the the churches that got started, the gospel that got translated. I mean, they're seeing today the impact and still the ripples of the ministry and the life of this guy by the name of Hudson Taylor. Anyway, one of the things—fascinating stories, fascinating men, fascinating lives—but one of the things that I found, as I went through each story, is each one of these um, men that God used in powerful ways had had an experience um, in which uh, one of sort of deep surrender—an uh, experience in which they kind of came to the end of themselves and they said, "God." I'm yours. I am all in. Um, up until this point, the truth be told, I've been living my life for me, but from this point forward, God, would you use me? Would you speak through me? Would you lead me? Where you lead, I'll follow. What you want me to say, I'll say, right? What you want me to do with your help, I'm doing it. I am all in. And this wasn't just a, a, a like a one-time prayer, like a one-time thing that they said, they said, oh yeah, I had this really great mountaintop like church camp experience, and then I went and lived however I want. No, no, no. They, they prayed these prayers and they lived these kinds of lives every day of their lives. In fact, Bill Bright, uh, like I said, the founder of Crew, uh, he went so far as to actually write up a contract uh, a, a, after hearing a, a message uh, in his 20s. He heard a message uh, on basically offering yourself in surrender back to God. And he actually wrote up a contract and said, you know, from this point forward, God, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. This is what he said. And he signed it and he dated it on the bottom. His wife uh, did the same, signed it and dated it. And from that point forward in, in their lives, before their feet would hit the floor every morning, they would literally roll out of bed onto their knees. They would open up their hands and say, God, we are yours. We are your servants. We are your people. And so today, would you lead us? Would you direct us? Would you fill us, God? If there is somebody that you want us to love, would you love them through us? If there is someone that you want us to share about Jesus, with, would you share through us? If there's somebody that we can serve, if there's a way that we can stoop down and serve, do it through us. Lord, we are yours. Live your life through me. They prayed that prayer every day of their lives. And not just Bill Bright, but each of these uh, Christian leaders, Christian missionaries had mo- a moment like that and then followed it through with day-by-day day sort of ongoing surrender. And I have to say, God used them to change the world. He used them powerfully. It was actually in a time of, of surrender when each one of these um, Christian leaders actually heard from God. It was during a time of, so where uh, Bill Bright actually stayed up the whole night in prayer uh, just saying, God, I want you to use all my life to be about you and not about me. Just a whole night in prayer. It was in that moment that God spoke and gave him a vision for Campus Crusade, a vision that would impact millions of people around the globe. It's not just these three leaders, but this is the story that you read over and over and over, even throughout the pages of God's book. It's a story and a call to every Christ follower to not just, to not just come to church, right? To not just come and do the nice church thing and we sit and we listen to a message, we sing songs, we say, good message, pastor, and we go home. No, it's a call to live our lives every day, every moment, wide open to God saying, God, I need you. I want to live today with you. I want to be your servant and your son or your daughter. I want to follow you. I want to hear from you. I want your way and your will to be done in me. Today, we're going to look at two different kinds of passages um, from uh, the New Testament. One is written by the Apostle Paul, and the other one is going to be right from the lips of Jesus himself. And it's just a picture, and I I hope anyway that, that this is what we'll get. We tend to think of surrender as being a bad thing, right? Surrendering to God. I'd rather be in control. I'd rather have my way. And so we think that's the good way. Surrendering to God is the bad thing. But what we'll see over and over and over again today is Really, it's when we come to this place where we are on our knees and we are opening up our lives and our hearts and we're saying, God, have your way in me, right? Lead your life, live your life out through me. Would you, I mean, I am yours. When we come to a place of surrender, that is where life starts. That's where life begins. That's where the good stuff happens. In fact, what we'll see is that life with Christ, lived all in for Christ, is better than anything else this world has to offer. So that's kind of where we're going. Uh, If you've got your Bibles, you can open them up. We're going to jump into Philippians chapter three. Um, Today we're going to read a few verses there and then we'll jump over to Luke 14 a little bit later. You can also follow along in the notes section of the Ignite Church app or on the screens. We've got it everywhere. So kind of follow along. And I just want you to open up your hearts and your ears here and see what God might be saying to you in the midst of this. Philippians 3, 7 and 8 says this. This is again Paul talking. He says whatever were gains to me I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness or the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. I consider them rubbish. He says that I may gain Christ. A little background here, if you were to read the context around this, uh, for the few verses before this, Paul has been kind of talking about who he was before Christ, right? He was talking about the kind of life that he had and the kind of life that he was experiencing. In many ways, he was winning at life. He was highly respected. He was highly educated. He had a great job and one of kind of prestige. He was well provided for and taken care of, made a good income, made a good living. Uh, Everything was going his way. He had a nice life. But what Paul is saying here is that all of the stuff that used to be important, all the stuff that I thought life would have been founded, all of that worldly stuff, even even the religious things that I thought were earning me some brownie points with God, he's saying it's meaningless on its own. I did all that religious stuff, I had respect, I had my career, it was going great, but I missed out in the most important thing, I missed out on Jesus, I missed out on the life that he had for me. Now, now, Paul knew a lot about God, but what he's saying is, I missed out on really knowing God personally. The word that's translated there for knowing Christ, knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, means literally to know somebody intimately, like a husband knows a wife, to know to know somebody in you know thoroughly to know somebody very 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 well he's painting a picture here Paul's saying I consider everything else a loss compared to the surpassing greatness the joy of really knowing Jesus knowing him closely because there's nothing better I mean it's what we've been talking about right for the last uh, three weeks over and over there's nothing better than living our lives with Christ. Paul goes on to say, in fact, in comparison, I would gladly and have gladly lost all things. I consider everything else, he says, garbage in order to gain Christ. The word garbage, you want to know what it means in the Greek? Literally, it's a, garbage is a bad translation. They're being polite, the translators are. It means literally dung. It means crap. It means refuse. He's saying everything else in life is Crap. Can I say that in church? But everything else is, is junk. It's nothing. It's the lowest of the low. It's the worst compared to how great it is to really know Christ. Not just know about him, not just come to church and hear somebody else talk about him, but to know Christ, to walk with him, to be filled with him, to love him, to hear from him, to respond to him, to allow his plans to be to, to be what leads me, to be His life and His glory, to be what consumes my heart, what what is the inc- you know ever increasing passion of my life. Everything else in life, He says, is junk. It's crap compared to how great it is to know and follow and love Jesus. It's better. He's saying there's nothing better than living our lives like that. Let nothing stand in the way of fully pursuing Jesus. In Christ alone, there is joy and there is freedom. There is life. There is peace. You won't find that kind of lasting stuff anyplace else. There's nothing better. You in a more joy-filled life? Then open up your heart and your life to know Christ more, to follow Christ more, to live your life in him and with him because there is nothing better. Let's go on, verse nine. So he says, you know what? Uh, I consider everything else garbage that I may gain Christ, verse nine, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, in in other words, in terms of what I've done and earning brownie points with God and trying to do all the right things and do and not do and all that kind of stuff. He says, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith, and he says this, I want to know Christ more than anything. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection, even participate in his sufferings, becoming, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul just sort of puts it out there. He says, you know what? Through faith in Jesus, I can come to know Christ intimately. I can come to experience the power of his resurrection. And those first two we kinda like. Oh, I want to experience some resurrection power. He goes on and says, You know what? I even want to participate in his sufferings, in some ways, in dying, so that I can know and experience the resurrection power of Jesus in my life. So that I can I can come alive in the here and come alive in eternity to be to be with him forever. There's nothing better. He's saying, I want to know Christ like that. I want to come alive in him. I want to follow him no matter the cost. Because will, will there be a price? Will there be a cost for following Jesus in the here and now? Okay, it's okay to talk in church, right? Will there be a price for following Christ in the here and now? Yeah, give me some examples. It's okay to talk in church. What What are some examples of ways that perhaps there could be a cost to following Jesus in the here and now? What do you think? Don't make eye contact. No, come on. It's okay. What do you think? Could you lose some friends? It's, it's entirely possible. Absolutely. Some might think you are completely off your rocker, right, for following Jesus, for, I mean, becoming uh, radically generous. You think people would think that's a little countercultural? For standing on truth or for standing even morally at work or places where it could get you in trouble to do so, right? There's a, there can be costs. There can be all kinds of costs. Man, I And I can see days coming <laughs> uh, closer and closer and closer when the cost will become greater and greater and greater for those of us that claim to follow Jesus. Of course there's a cost. But, he, but what Paul's saying is, man, everything else is junk compared to the greatness of knowing Christ, compared to the greatness of even gaining life with him, even the cost, even the sufferings, he's saying, that we'll endure in this world are like nothing. They're like dung compared to the joy and the greatness and the life that is found in Jesus, man. I'd rather have him no matter the cost. That's what, it's, that's what Paul's saying. I would rather live with him. I don't even care the cost. And this is the guy that has he, has Paul experienced great cost for following Jesus? man, according to scripture, he's been beaten, he's been stoned, he's been whipped, he's been thrown out of the city as though dead. He he was shipwrecked. I mean, like, he had all kinds of stuff happening. And and you know what he's saying? He's saying, that stuff, not to belittle it, because can that stuff be hard to go through? Of course, there's hardship in this life. But he's saying, man, that stuff is like nothing compared to how great life with Christ is. He's saying, there's nothing better, worth any cost, worth any price. Life with Christ is just better. There's a C.S. Lewis quote, which I think is great. He says this. He says, if we consider, I don't know if you can see that or not. Eh, It's kind of a weird shape, but it says, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised to us in the Gospels, in God's book, in in Jesus' own teaching, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak we are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition while when infinite joy is offered to us like an infinite like an excuse me ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea we are far too easily pleased in this philippians passage uh, you can see and hear Paul surrender. He is all in for Christ, right? I consider everything else loss. I gladly give it up. I would even consider it garbage in order to gain Christ. But Paul understands that following God, that intimacy with God, that knowing Christ is better. It's just better you know, some of us have been looking to other things for far too long. We've been looking to other things to try and find life or joy or fullness or satisfaction or love or importance or whatever. We may have tried to find those identity kinds of things in careers or money. We might've gone after toys. We might've just been so focused on our own pleasure that that's what we were looking for, A whole host of other things, right? And if we're honest, I'd say we have to admit that those things maybe were fun for a little while, but they never deliver what they promise. They cannot and do not deliver the lasting joy and fullness and life that we crave and long for. There is something better. Maybe today God's telling you that it's time to refocus your heart to to quit making mud pies, right? And settling for second best. Maybe today, God's nudge to you is to draw your eyes back towards him and say, you know what, God? You are what I need more than anything else. You are what I want. Would you come and would you fill me? Would you lead me? Would you guide me? Would you be my God? Because I need you, Jesus. I think that's probably a cry for all of us. When we talk about surrender, right, it is not a one and done kind of thing. It is a a moment by moment. I probably need to surrender every two minutes, right, because I wander, because I can so easily be seduced by other things because my eyes can get off track because whatever, and again and again and again and again, we just need to come back and say, no, forgive me, God, I need you, right, I want you. Would you lead me and guide me? Would you speak? And I'll, I'll listen. With, with your help, would you fill me? Because I want to follow you. I right? have your way. Billy Graham uh, tells a story about what he calls uh, nailing our colors to the mast. And the phrase comes from old sailing days. He says your, your color was your flag kind of flying uh, up on the mast. It represented the country. It represented who's it who it was that was sponsoring this deal, right? It represented who owned the ship. It re- represented what you believed, who you were, all that kind of stuff. And, and he said, a lot of times what would happen is that uh, when somebody up in the crow's nest would spot a ship coming on the horizon, they would actually lower the flag. They would lower the colors because they didn't want to get blown out of the water if it was somebody that opposed them, right? If it was an opposing army, and so they'd sort of take down the flag and kind of pretend like, no, no, we're good, right? Like that kind of a thing. And he said, but but occasionally you would find uh, a ship, and they would just go and they would take nails and they would take the, uh, the the flag. They would take it up to the top of the mast and they would nail it in. And they were saying, when you nail your colors to the mass, he said, is, it's a way of saying, this is who I am, right? Come what may. If you're going to blow me out of the water, blow me out of the water. But this is who I am, I will not yield. Friends, as we talk about and look into, even, even the Apostle Paul, and certainly when we get to the teaching of Jesus that we'll look at in a second, this is the way they're living, right? This is the way they're living. This is what it looks like to live as a Christ follower, to nail our colors to the mass and say, you know what? I'm all in, God, I'm following you no matter the cost, no matter where you take me. Even if it's hard and I don't understand, I might waver, I might question, but my intention and my desire in my heart is that I would follow you no matter what. I'll tell you what, give me a church full of people like that, right? Imagine what God would do. It'd be amazing if we were to set our eyes so closely to him, if we were to walk so closely to him, if, if his word and his heart... And his grace were to change us and fill us and consume us so much that our lives were all about living his intentions out in the world. Man, I wonder what God would do. Be an amazing story, be an amazing thing to behold. It's the kind of life that Jesus wants us to live. No holds barred, full devotion to Christ. I belong to him. I've nailed my colors to the mast, and I will not yield. Let's go to Luke 14, we'll read, and there's ten, 10 verses I want us to just look at. Here, it's from the lips of Jesus himself. It says this, Lar- large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. There should be a collective gulp after that. <laughs> Anybody else feel that? Go. Whoever does not carry his own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Verse 28 Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to st- able to finish it, everyone will see it and will ridicule you saying, "This person began to build but wasn't able to finish." verse 31. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses the saltiness, how can it be made salty? Neither for the soil, nor for the is thrown out whoever has ears to hear let him hear all right little pop quiz to get us going here how many of us think that what jesus is really saying is that no you should just hate your mom your dad your kids your spouse like you should hate them seething is that what he's saying everybody so show of hands no hands really <laughs> yeah yeah that's not what he's saying at all right that's not i mean clearly we've talked about over and over and over and over again jesus big two right he says the whole law and the prophets everything is summed up in two things the most important things in life are about this love the lord your god with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself right so clearly even even in god's top 10 what the fifth fifth commandment i think right is honor your father and your mother right is Jesus here contradicting himself? Is God going back on what he said earlier? No. This is actually a pretty common kind of teaching they do in in uh, Jewish literature and in Jewish teaching in that day. They would contrast things and say, "Man, it, wouldn't it be great if your love for one was so much greater that in comparison it was almost like you hated this?" That would be a very common kind of teaching style. It's exactly what Jesus is doing here, right? He's saying, "What if your love for God and your..." your surrender to him? What if he was so glorious in your eyes that he's such the number one, the driving force in your life that in comparison, everything else was like crap, right? In comparison, even people you love, even people like moms and dads and whatever, husbands and wives and kids and bosses, gulp, other things, it would pale in comparison, be almost as if you hated them because you were so consumed with and driven by and in love with Christ. This doesn't take away from the strength or the shock factor of Jesus' statement because what he's saying is if you want to be my disciple, if you claim to be my follower, Jesus is saying, then I want the number one spot in your life. I want to be the chief decision maker, the most important person, the one whom your heart loves more than any other. The one that you look to and think about. I want to be the first thing on your mind when you wake up in the morning and the last thing on your mind when you drift off to sleep at night. I want to consume you. I want to be the passion of your life. I want you to know and experience the life I have for you. And the way you do that is by coming and opening up all of your heart and life to me and come and follow me and get to know me. Experience my love, my life for you. He wants to be preferred above all else, wants to be loved above all. He wants to be the number one thing. And in order for us to experience the kind of fullness and life that we're intended to, he needs to be the leader of every part of our lives. He demands that he expects full devotion 100%. He wants all of us, right? Take up your cross, he says, and come and follow me. Take up your cross. It's a picture of dying to ourselves, right? and choosing instead to let him come and live his life, his resurrection life in us. It's not a popular one. It's not one that we like. I mean, sometimes people will post that, but I don't know if we've actually thought about it. It'd be like saying, come and take up your electric chair and follow me, right? I mean, it's not a very sexy sort of passage. It's not a a very alluring kind of story, but but again, I don't want us to lose sight of the truth here because he's not just saying, do it. He's not saying, put the smack down. Like, you gotta die. You gotta give up everything. It's gonna be terrible. You just gotta suck it up. It's a, no, he's saying, you know, I want you to love me so much. I want you to draw so near to me and come to know my heart and my life, the fullness that I have for you. I want you to come and experience the life I have for you so much that in comparison, you would gladly give up all else because you've realized, you've recognized, and you've come to know there is nothing better. There's nothing better. I was talking with a friend, uh, this week, and I was kind of, we were kind of talking about this whole kind of stuff, and, uh, he said, you know, it sounds weird, this kind of stuff you're talking about. He said, it sounds like I can't ever go and play a game of golf. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I know exactly what you mean. It does, it kind of sounds that way. We start talking about, man, you've got to die to live and you got to give up everything and whatever. Man, maybe we should go around and monk things and just inflict pain on ourselves and just do the do the whole kind of thing. But uh, But that's not really what I'm trying to communicate here. That's certainly, I don't think, what God is trying to communicate. I think if you follow Christ, if you make him your number one, if you 're all in with Jesus, does that mean that you can 't play golf? Does that mean you can never see another movie again? Is that what that means does it mean Does it mean that you man you better not spend time with your family, you should be out doing stuff for God? Is that what it means? No, of course not right I mean uh, uh, kind of what we what we talked about as we were processing and kind of kind of dreaming and thinking about it I was like I, I think maybe the question is not if you can. You know, if you can play golf or you can go to movies or you can go whatever. I think the question is, do we do our lives? Do we live our lives in such a way that we go golfing with Jesus, right? That we, that we go to the movies with Christ. That, I mean, we're, that we are all his all the time. That it's not just the little religion Sunday morning box that Christ lives in. But what if he, what if he filled every compartment of our lives, and it sounds weird to say, you know, go golfing with Jesus as in like four, you know, like, like he gets a hole in one every time. It's, it totally stinks to play with him. No, but I mean, it's, 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 it's not that kind of thing. Right. But, but, but what if, what if we are so locked in with this presence that maybe he wants to speak to us on the golf course? Right. What, what if, I mean, could, could it be that he has plans for who will invite to go with us? Could it be that at some point, if we follow Christ, even on the golf course, could it be that at some point we'll find ourselves praying with somebody on the golf course? Or maybe sharing with them about Jesus, or just loving on somebody? Could it be that we would practice extravagant generosity? You might end up paying for somebody else to go golfing. You might end up, who knows, serving somebody that's really in need in the midst of it. Now, golfing is just an example, right? It doesn't matter. But I'm just saying, what if Christ filled every compartment of our lives? Now, could it be that it'll change some of those things? Absolutely. Will our lives look different after Christ than before? Absolutely. But I, even as I was thinking about it this week, but I'm like, I'm not sure it's, it's because you have to most of the time. Like God puts a smack down and says, no, you can't go golfing or you can't whatever. But I just think sometimes it's just that our, our affections have turned elsewhere and things that used to be so important to us maybe aren't as important anymore. I was, I was thinking about I mean, is my life different as a husband of 17, 18? What are we coming up on, 18 years? What's that? 19, yeah, see, I knew that. I knew that. It's September sometime. Just kidding, 27th. Anyway, but uh, no, but could it be that as a husband and a father of three, does my life look differently than I did when I was a single bachelor? You tell me, okay, if you guys have kids, I'm pretty sure you know the answer, right? It totally does. Now, was it because Tina was sitting there saying, no, you can't do this anymore? You can't do that anymore? No, she's not at all. Not even a little. But suddenly, suddenly, right? Right because I love my family, because I, I delight in spending time with them. Like I love hanging out with my kids and being with my wife. You know, suddenly some things that used to be important when I was back here living by myself, suddenly they're just not as important anymore because my heart has changed, because my priorities and values are, I think the same is true with following Christ. Right, as we grow, as we follow, as we surrender more and more, as we taste and see that the Lord is good, suddenly we realize the life with him is better. There are some things that we used to pursue, some things we used to go after, some things we used to do that suddenly will lose their luster as we realize, you know what? That's not really where it's at anymore. That's not what I want my life to be about. Maybe it's just not a good use of time. Maybe I would rather be investing in things that will really make a difference. I don't know. But going back to the question, Right? Could it be possible that you'll end up golfing more as you follow Jesus? It's entirely possible, right? I can't answer that question. It's not about that, really. It's, it's really about, uh, is he Lord of every part of your life? Is he the one that's calling the shots? Is he the one that you long for more than anything? Christianity, friends, was always intended to be an all-in kind of relationship. You don't just add a little bit of him here and there. He's not just in one compartment or two or three. He wants all. And life works by far as we open up our hearts and our lives to him and say, God, I want you in every part. Now, I just want to mention this too because the downside and what I found myself struggling with as I was preparing the message this week is does God want, require, teach, tell us that he wants all of us? Yes, yes. Right? Is that how life works best? Yes. Is life better when we when we live that way? Yes, a hundred percent. Yes. And yet, at the same time, I feel this tension. Right? Because. because if that's the ideal over there, our realities right, are gonna be somewhere over here, right? And even when I open up my heart, and I start out my prayer in the morning saying, God, I'm all in with you, I wanna be yours, right? I wanna follow, and know whatever you want, I want. that. That may be my intention and within minutes sometimes I can see ways that I've screwed it up already. Like when I came down and got angry with somebody, you know, or whatever. I want my way, or I want, you know, whatever. It so easily gets screwed up. And so I just want to just remind us today that even when we blow it, even when we screw up, even there, every moment of our lives, there's an opportunity for grace there where Christ is calling us back and saying, you know what, I died for that sin. And sometimes I think him being Lord, us being all in with him, him having his way over every compartment of our lives, sometimes I think it's as simple as us saying, God, I blew it again would you forgive me, and then turning back home. I don't know where you're at with God today or what he might be saying to you. I have all kinds of more scriptures and other other things that we could share that just kind of keep going back to the same point of, you know what, life with Christ is better. Life lived with him, close to him is better. Life lived, surrender to him is better. And so maybe for you today, maybe, maybe it's time, maybe you've never made this kind of commitment before. And so today, you just need to stop and just open up your hands and your heart and just pray. And we'll do that in a minute. And just pray, God, I've tried life my way. I've gone my own way. And if I'm honest, I would have to say, you know what? There's still this empty part in my soul. I'm missing out on the life I was born for. And if that's you, just open up your hands and heart to him today and just say, Jesus, would you come in? Would you forgive me for my rebellion and for my sin? Would you cleanse me and wash me and make me clean? And with your help today in this moment and tomorrow and the next day, Lord, I want to learn to follow you. I want to be all in. I want your plans and your will and your presence to be the desire of my heart. Teach me to follow you maybe you've prayed that prayer before and like i said you maybe it's been 5 minutes or 5 years or whatever 5 months and you kind of look back and say you know what i i have blown it again and again i found my heart being distracted and swayed by all these other things and maybe today it's just time for you to again open up your heart and your hands and say jesus i've blown it again would you bring me home would you would you wash me and forgive me because of jesus And would you restore me? Would you fill me with your spirit? Would you teach me to walk with you, to do my day with you, to speak to you, to to seek you in your word, to recognize your presence in my life, to, to follow you moment by moment by moment? I am yours. That's the kind of people we want to be, isn't it? That's the, that's the way I want to learn to live. That's how we are called to live. It's how life works best. And as we experience that and learn that, and our trajectory starts moving in the direction of Jesus more and more, I think we'll discover that life with Him is better. Let's close in prayer. God, that's our cry this morning. We need you. And whether for the first time or the thousandth time, God, we come and we open up our hands and our hearts. And we say, come, Lord Jesus, come, we need you. God, we have tried life on our own so many times. We have gone our own way. We have pursued other things. We've been distracted and consumed by all kinds of stuff in this world. Lord, today, this morning, in this moment, we just pray, come, Lord Jesus, come and forgive us. Come and wash us. Come and make us clean and draw us back home. Would you fill us and lead us? Would you be our God? Would you be our savior? And would you be the leader in our lives? God, we want to follow you and know you. Give us such a glimpse of you. God, help us to love you so much that everything else in comparison seems like junk compared to the greatness of being with you and knowing you and following and serving We want to be people that are all in. So would you come and bring that about in us step by step, day by day. Would you teach us to follow and serve and love and know you more? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.